face. Oh, okay. So welcome back everyone to another episode of Pats Uncovered, the podcast where we get to talk about untraditional pathways into technology and even within technology. Um, so I'm very excited to have Linda MacGyver as my guest today. Um, I think I still remember the first time I met Linda, which was at like a random event. I think it was like Our Ladies Melbourne, something similar to one of those meetups in Melbourne. And honestly, like you, she went and talked about what she's been doing at the moment and I have been in awe ever since. So this has been a long time coming chat. Uh, it's our second round at this because we kept having connection issues, but I'm hoping that this goes through and we can actually chat about everything and get to hear all about Linda. Welcome, Linda. So nice to be here. Thanks, Akansha. No problem. Right. Okay. Well, I feel like this is a kind of like deja vu because I feel like I did all the same exact thing right but like three days ago and I'm like, okay, let's just try this again. <laughs> but if you want to introduce yourself um, really quickly and we can settle in and get started. Sounds good. So I am Linda McIver. I am the founder and executive director of the Australian Data Science Education Institute, which is a charity dedicated to building the data science and data literacy skills of all Australian children, ultimately all children around the world. But, you know, give me a week or two. <laughs> Just about that. Like, I mean, no more than two weeks and you'll be out there doing right. it all, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, and I think it's just such an important part of everything that it is right now, right? Twenty, Like the way we are, data is just everything at the moment it's so important for people to be able to understand what they can do with it um right okay look we're going to talk all about that as we keep going so let's dive in take me back to kind of high school college what was happening back then what were the original career paths that you saw for yourself so my first plan was i wanted to be a vet yep <laughs> and then when i was in like year 10 or year 11 i think i found out that i'm allergic to pretty much everything <laughs> the the immunologist was like yeah that would kill you and then he <laughs> laughed and I was like that's that's the least funny thing I've ever oh. heard um <laughs> and then I'm I applied uh, yeah <laughs> well, it's funny now <laughs> like, I don't regret it for a second but uh it was a bit heartbreaking at the time um then I had medicine as my first choice um and I didn't get in and yep. that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. I went on and did a generic science degree. Um, and the the great part was there was one, like I needed a fill-in subject in, in first year because I wanted to do genetics. And for that, you had to do biology, chemistry and maths. So that was kind of three of my four choices. Yep. And I, I had, you know... I had a space and I thought, wow, I kind of like playing with computers. My cousin Chris gave me his Commodore 64 when I was little and I played with that and I, I made little basic programs and it was really satisfying and, you know, getting through the frustration and getting it to do something I wanted to do was amazing. So I was like, okay, I'll do computer science. And uh, I actually hated first year. I don't know why I was still doing it in second year, um, but by third year, it was the only thing I was studying. That is amazing. So like the full, and it's so interesting, honestly, like I was the exact same where I thought I was going to do medicine and I was like, I'm so, so glad that never happened. <laughs> like so thankful for it now. Um, but yeah, so like by third year, it was kind of like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. Well, third year was where all the interesting stuff was. So there yeah. was artificial intelligence and enriched processing and graphics and, and funky sorts of programming. And it was just, it was, it was. I was kind of holding out for the good stuff in third year and yeah, I loved it. Um, then I went and got a job in a software company and um, the software company was a nightmare. Uh, yep. It was one of those, you know, it was a, a little startup where the, um, the 
boss was having screaming matches with the other boss who was his dad in the oh, middle wow. of the office. You know, oh, yeah. It was, it Unreal. Was, it was <laughs> just not a happy environment. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Professionalism. I was, <laughs> right. <laughs> I was kind of miserable. Uh, and some friends of mine who were doing postgrad computer science said to me, well, you should come back and do honours. And I said, well, I didn't get the marks. They were like, oh, there's ways around that. <laughs> and there were ways around that, as it turns out. And this was my first lesson in if you want something badly enough, don't let the the obvious barriers throw you. So, you know, if you don't get the marks, there will be ways to get around it, whether you do something else and then transfer or whether you, you know, badger the right person and get in. There are, there are ways. ways. I love that. Uh, I mean... And, I was just going to say, everyone needs friends like that, where they're like, we gotcha. Like, we'll sort it out. Don't well, you worry. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that was that was really the first time where my friends were instrumental in changing my life and where I realized that um, I wasn't doing any of this alone. You know, I had, yeah. I had friends who had my back and who were going to help me do what I wanted to do and needed to do. And that's been that's been true all along. Just it gets better and better. Oh, I love that. So you're now doing it honours. So what's the honours in? So it's honours in computer science. Um, the project was kind of bioinformatics-y, but on the people side, it was more about... Um, I didn't have the terminology for it then, but it was really about user interfaces more yeah. than it was about bioinformatics. Um, and... I kind of muddled through honours. It was the hardest thing I'd ever had to do. It was the first time I'd really had to work. Uh, and I worked my ass off. And I got I got a, um, a second-class honours. And I was offered a PhD project from uh, by Damien Conway, who is an extraordinary human being. And we, we got along really well. He'd been one of my lecturers in honours. And he had this project in... Uh, computer science education and designing a programming language for teaching programming and it sounded really interesting and he scavenged up some money for me and away we went and it was yeah it was amazing oh my Loved god it. and I have somehow left out the part that you're a doctor like did I completely skip that <laughs> like yeah I have a PhD I am Dr. McIver I'm very sorry for skipping past that but oh my god yes sorry <laughs> should have introduced you as you should have been introduced oh that is terrible but talk to me about the PhD how was that like I mean it sounds amazing and it sounds like such an important thing yeah. to be doing like how, how did you find that like what were you even doing like how does that go about like what do you do sorry I've got so many questions now <laughs> just uh, talk to me Linda was... <laughs> <laughs> it was quite the saga. Um, first of all, working with Damien was fabulous. He's an amazing, amazing man. And um, and I learned a lot of my teacher craft from him because he's an amazing teacher. Um, but the project itself, it sort of had a bunch of parts and the whole usability user interface thing came back into it because the one of the big issues with, with learning programming is that programming languages tend to suck. <laughs> They're designed by intense tech nerds for intense tech nerds and it makes them quite inaccessible for novices and um you know normal people who aren't intense tech nerds um and so the first part was we'll actually see if you can find out what's usable what is what is usable programming look like mm. um you know what's what's a language look like that's actually intelligible to human beings 
Um, so there was some testing in that, and I sort of I went and wrote a standard a standard uh, introductory programming exercise in about fourteen different programming languages, uh, which completely broke my brain. And I can recommend completely breaking your brain on a regular basis. It's very very good exercise. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful for staving off dementia. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. And then I, I designed a language and I tested it. Um, I sort of ran the same exercises with one bunch of kids in, the, in, the, in my language. And I called the language Grail, which stood for genuinely readable and intuitive language. So I wasn't smug at all. Um, <laughs> and by the end of the by the end of the um project i found that yes having a a good um programming interface made it uh much easier well okay i have to be careful the claims i make what i proved was you make less errors with a programming language that is more readable and um understandable that doesn't necessarily mean it's better for programming, doesn't necessarily mean it's easier to learn. What I proved yeah. was you make less errors. You can, you know, there's there's more things to do from that. Um, and I found out actually just recently that someone has done some of those more things and done them really well like, based on my thesis, which is just very exciting. Um, oh, that is sorry, so my, cool my to hear. cats just come to join me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but the one thing I knew by the end of that project was that a teaching language was the absolute wrong way to go, was the worst way to teach programming. And the reason for that is because the biggest barrier to learning programming is motivation. That if if you If you don't have a really strong reason to do it, you're not going to get past the frustrations. And it doesn't matter how well designed the programming language is, there are going to be frustrations. Yeah. Um, so... The most important thing is to give people real things to do, things they care about, things they can see the point of, and things that they want to do. And if they've got that, then they will, they will, sit, you know, push through any barriers. Uh, and absolutely, we should be reducing those barriers. <laughs> but if you don't have motivation, you've got nothing. So that, that really shaped such... everything from there. That's such an interesting point, I think. And it lines up in and of itself with teaching. Like, I mean, yes, there's definitely people who prefer the kind of rote method of like, well, I got to learn this, got to do a test, got to move on. Um, and there was times where I was completely like that. Like, I mean, I literally, I think, learned off, not even joking, pages of essays in history. I don't know how. I would just practice writing the event. I'd just like have the memory of having written four pages. So I'd spit it four pages in the exam. And that was that. But when it came to things like maths, I literally had to sit there and I'd like, I cannot rote learn like a theorem. I'm like, I need to know why this links to this, to this, to this. Like, I don't understand otherwise. And it's such an interesting shift where like, if you're not being taught for a reason, <laughs> like the whole thing where people are like, I, I've never in my life had to use X or like an algebra right. thing. In my, and I'm like, mm, yeah. pretty, mm, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm pretty sure you do that every day, but you just don't think about it as X. Um, but like, it's so, I mean, it completely makes sense that it would translate towards coding or whatever else it might be as well. Like it, it makes sense when you look at it in like, the bigger picture retroactively but oh yeah glad that you got you there know, <laughs> it applies to the entire education system my my oldest would come home during year 10 math methods and say what am i you know why am i learning SIRDs? i hate them and i can't see the point when am i ever going to use them and i couldn't answer her i was like um 
sorry, you're probably not. <laughs> like, and you know what the funniest thing about this with, is? Sorry, yeah. just to interrupt this, no, but no. you just said Sarah's and someone as someone who's done a maths degree, I literally for like a full thirty seconds was like, What the hell are Sarah's? Like what? Right. right. Like I don't even remember that. <laughs> not an obviously useful concept at all. But then she also came home saying, asking the same thing about calculus. And my husband's an electrical engineer. And he said, oh, I use that all the time in my work. And he sat down and showed her how he used it. And she was like, oh, this is amazing. This is so cool. Why don't they tell us this? Yeah. So all of these experiences kind of built in my brain towards we really should be teaching with real stuff. We really need to give the kids an understanding of why they're learning things and, and why they why would they care? I like that. Oh, so... You've now come out of the PhD and yeah. are, what, what's next? So the PhD took a while because I got sick. I got uh, actually what it looks very much like long COVID and it was some other virus. Um, I called it at the time post-viral syndrome. A lot of people didn't believe it was a thing because it's not visible. Like you don't have spots on your face or lumps or you know but I was pretty sick and so the PhD took a while and uh, I ran out of scholarship while I was doing that so I took a job as an academic I started out as an assistant lecturer and then went on to lecturing and so by the end of the PhD I was lecturing full-time and I just kept doing that Um, and I really loved the lecturing but I didn't love the research I couldn't find a way through I couldn't find a topic I was passionate about or I didn't feel like my research was making a difference so I was doing research in usability and I was doing research in computer science education and I just didn't I didn't feel like it was I didn't feel like it mattered yeah you know I could have stopped doing it tomorrow and no one would notice um and then Monash had a round of redundancies they were getting rid of uh a third of the staff I think and the workload was staying the same like there was the same amount of work to do and I had already struggled I'd come back from my first round of maternity leave with my first child and struggled to come back even half time and then I, I was pregnant with my second when this happened and they were like okay so you know we're getting rid of a lot of people your workload's gonna go up I was like I don't think I'm up for that <laughs> I didn't think I was obsessed enough with research to make a go of it you have to be pretty driven to make a go of it in research and I wanted to spend time with my kids and have a life as well as a job um which is a bit radical I know uh, wild thoughts here um, now Linda like I don't know where you're coming up with these (laughs) (laughs) so and I, I hadn't intended to leave but they had you know they were like you can you can inquire as to what your package would look like if you were to take a package with no kind of no prejudice as to the outcome and I looked and it was going to be a year's salary and I was like that actually works for me right now you know, <laughs> heavily pregnant with my second child let's do that because there wasn't any paid maternity leave at the time oh of course okay so I love so, how the options were do what double the workload of what it was before or go home course. and take a year worth yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah that's like mm, that that works <laughs> So I took that package um, and I spent a couple of years just at home with the kiddos. And then I started doing some freelance writing. Um, I did some pro bono communications work for Oxfam Australia. Uh, I did a, I was a project officer for the 
breastfeeding friendly workplace accreditation program. Uh, I was, you know, trying a lot of things. Yeah. And then um, someone, a former colleague from Monash called me up and said, hey, we're doing this thing that I think you're going to be kind of interested in. And I went, you know, I'm not coming back, right? <laughs> he went, hear me out. And I remember, I remember taking the call. My youngest was in the bath. So I'm kneeling on the floor of the bathroom, phone under the chin, <laughs> wrangling the munchkin in the bath. And, and he told me that they were, um, there was this science school opening up and they were developing a new curriculum, a new computer science curriculum for, for science nerds. And I was like, oh. So <laughs> next day, <laughs> I started working for him, developing the curriculum. And, and resources to go with it. Um, after doing that for a year, I was teaching there because I just got sort of sucked further and further into the classroom and I just <laughs> loved it. Like that sense of immediate impact was really um, intense. Uh, and in fact, the first class I ever took there was, you know, they do a kind of introduction to the next year, you know, like a Head Start program in, in December for year 11 and 12 so yeah. that was my first class of year 11s and there are no bells at that school and so we were having a wonderful time discussing the nature of intelligence because I decided to start with an artificial intelligence unit and uh, we're chatting away and deeply into the discussion and another teacher comes in and goes is this a period two class I'm like yep and she's like it's halfway through period three we're looking for your students I was like oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> but that is just, amazing was, to hear though I was so engrossed in it and we were having a wonderful time so yeah no like that it screams the passion bit that you were talking about like I mean it all fits in and like everything kind of like this seems like it's lining itself up to being the right position at the right time yeah absolutely 100% so I got to develop this entirely new curriculum for the year 11s which was an introduction to computer science and it was basically um, I developed it with an, another teacher there, Victor Rajewski, and we, we basically put in everything that we found interesting. So we did artificial intelligence, we did ethics, um, visualization, computational science, data analysis, um, you know, algorithms and um, Python coding and um, usability, a big unit on usability, uh, <laughs> which was my absolute baby and they hated it they hated the unit on usability but they come to me now years later and go that was the most useful thing i ever did and i did a course on software engineering we never did usability again but i can't look at a website or a bit of software or even a door handle without thinking about usability now which is kind of a bit of a love-hate thing they're like damn you you ruined me <laughs> But at the same time, there's this whole generation of students out there who've gone into software engineering and who are actually thinking about usability when they design systems. So I'm very I, proud of that. I'm sorry. That is like the most inspiring thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like to have that impact. Like, I mean, I, I definitely do that. Where, like, I mean, there's been so many people that I've chatted to over my life where I'm like, I'll think about them every so often. I'm like, I'll do something. And I'm like, that's what I want. I'm like, I want someone to think about that one time. Don't know what it'll be about. Um, we'll figure that bit out later. But like, <laughs> it sounds amazing. And I think it's like, of all the things, like I'm, I'm glad it was usability. Like it could have been AI. It could have been like ethics would have been just as good. That's not why. But the, it's such an important part. And I'm so glad that that's, a, that's stuck in their head. And it's also becoming a lot more commonplace to be thinking about and talking about now. And hoping yes. that there is more of that in college now. 
please God. <laughs> oh, I hope so, but I wouldn't like to make any bets on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's very true. <laughs> I see some of the things out there and I'm like, oh, definitely isn't a thing yet because I'm seeing this. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, sorry, take me back into the school. So it's thriving along. Um, people are learning, clearly really learning because yeah. they're coming back to you years later. So the other thing we did in that year 11 course was we did what we called the computational science assignment where from the beginning we worked with scientists to solve their computational and data needs always on the understanding that this is a student project no guarantees of anything useful at the end but yeah. worth a try kind of thing and um that first year we had a marine biology project on um seals um and a cancer research project and uh, one of the cancer research groups um, actually made a material difference to the researcher we were working with to his research. And I think he might even still be using that software today. This was in 2011. Um, so they actually, you know, they he had enough computer science to know what he needed, but not enough to do it and not enough time. And so he just threw the problem at these kids, uh, Matt and Chris, and they they went nuts. It was amazing. And these are year 11 kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is- so I had year 11s doing cancer research. I was like, Whoop, I'm done. <laughs> I can't, I can't top this. I might as well quit now. <laughs> You're li- like literally as far, like, oh, but that is outstanding. That's amazing to hear. I think uh, I, I, I don't have words for this. I'm just, I'm like, I'm in awe. Like, this is amazing. Like, I think I've compared this to like, we had a very similar thing like that where we had statistical consulting in college and like a fourth year module where it was kind of our final year project and things like that, where we had like external, like industry people being like, Hey, here's our data. If you can do something, that's great. Like obviously the actual analysis and stuff was done by the lecturer and she gave it back, but we all got to do it as well. We got access to the data. Um, but this is so much cooler. <laughs> and also in year 11, we're like, it's, it's such a good part of life to be like, Oh, I see what the impact of this could be. And I can go try something completely different, like yeah. putting them onto a whole new path, yeah. which is amazing to hear. But it was sorry, I'll give it, it was pretty <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> At the same time, in year ten, we were teaching with toys, and that was not my subject. I didn't have control over what we taught. And we were teaching year ten was a core subject, so every year ten at this school had to do this subject. Uh, whereas the year eleven was elective. And in year ten we were teaching kids to use scratch based interfaces to draw pretty pictures, uh, push robots out of circles, um, stuff like that. Meaningless yep. toy stuff was supposed to be fun. And the single most common bit of feedback I was getting was, why are you making me do this? This is not relevant to me. I can't do it. I hate it. And I'm never going to use it again. Why are you making me do this? Um, and eventually I persuaded the teacher in charge of that subject to go with a, a small data science unit just as a little test. Uh, and it completely changed everything. And, it, you know, the first unit was was a mess. It was um, it was flawed. We didn't have enough teachers who really had the skills to teach it. Uh, the resources weren't, you know, were, was, were very um, version one. <laughs> um, but they loved it. Uh, we worked with election data. It was three million lines of CSV. You couldn't even open it in Excel, so we had to code. Gosh darn it! Sorry, not sorry. Um, and and they kept coming to me, going, "This is amazing. I used this in my science project, and I used it in my maths exam, and 
oh my god there was this graph on the news last night and it was outrageous it was so misleading because there was no zero on the scale and like they they just they could see the point um and we went through three more versions of that unit uh we did one on microbats um the one on election data and one on climate science and it didn't matter what the data set was it just mattered that it was real we were teaching the same coding skills, you know, functions and variables and iteration and selection and all that jazz, uh, but it was meaningful. And they learned some data literacy and uh, most of the visualizations they did by hand. So they really didn't do a lot of code. They did just enough to pull the data out of the file and analyze it a little bit. And then they did the, the visualizations by hand because they were easier to make them compelling. And it just, completely turned around their attitude so that's when I quit <laughs> I'm just like I'm so glad we had this chat because I'm like this is exactly what I want to talk about and like the little <laughs> that was brilliant but I think it's just so interesting where like when someone came back about the zero and like there was no leading zero and like the graphs be and you look at the world right now where <laughs> what's it called fake news and the date like oh, yeah. data literacy i feel like is at an all-time low somehow mm. it's absolutely mm. bizarre and just like in the age of information that we call it right now to be at that level it's a sad state of affairs to say the least but and and it's an essential skill and if you look at the curriculum we teach you know the maths teach i was working with a math teacher on the first version of the unit she was like why are you doing this we're we already do graphs in maths but what they do in maths is they say linear data, uh, continuous data needs a linear graph, a line graph. Uh, discrete data needs a bar chart. Here is how to draw a bar chart. Here is how to draw a line graph. You are done. And yeah, that, that is not. That's how I. That's how I was taught. Like that. And like yep. Yeah, that reminds me of school. Like yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's not useful. It's not. It's not communicating results. It's not. You know. Uh, sometimes you actually do need to put discrete data in a line graph like it depends what you're trying to show it depends um what point you're trying to get across it depends which aspect of the data you're trying to highlight it depends what your question is of the data and what answer you found and it's graphing is a form of communication we need to teach it as a communication skill so just just that basic you know here are the technicalities of the graphs it's it, it doesn't do it justice at all and it's like, I mean, even just listen to that and it's such a clear thing of like, if you don't even realize that part of it, right? Like if you don't realize that this is a way of communicating or you can make it do what you want it to do, you don't realize that there's ways to manipulate it to show you something that you shouldn't be seeing and that there is fake ways you can make it up. And we're like, well, this data says this. And you're like, um, I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know. I feel like I'm definitely, like it's the classic one of like, oh, if you have an ice cream, you're going to have a cat, like diet like early or something like that. I can't remember what the data set example is <laughs> off the top of my head, but like, it's something so innocuous in terms of like mm. causation is in correlation, those kind of things where it's oh, just like, yeah. if you can't put like, and it's like, if you're not taught that there is ways around this or like this can be a thing, you're never going to question it. Like it's, oh yeah, it's such a like continuous thing of like, you need to see it, but sorry, you yeah. quit. And you, you need to see it in real data because if you look at a, a, a you know the textbook data sets that we work with if we ever work with data in schools the textbook data sets give you a perfect curve they come out with you know a, a nice neat um, summary statistics they do exactly what they're expected to do every time which is the one thing you can guarantee a real data set will never do 
So we're not, and you know, I'm hearing from people who have masters in data science who have never used data sets that are complex and where there's no right or wrong answer. And and yeah. what's the point of a master's in data science if you're not using real data and and learning that, you know, what do I do when things are a bit fuzzy? What do I do with outliers where I'm not sure whether they're genuine outliers or whether they're mistakes in the data? How do I cope when it doesn't come out the way I expect it to come out? Those are essential skills and we're not teaching them. We're teaching it as some kind of pure, perfect science, which is the worst possible message we can be getting across about data science. It is not a pure, perfect science. It is a mess. And the first question you need to ask about data is what's wrong with the data? And, and you know, if I teach nothing else, that's that's my big one. It's just like, I don't think I've ever tried to do anything in data science and it's come out right. I'm so exactly. Like, exactly. Like, I never, like even, I mean, even in school or like college, I was like, this is just, no, this doesn't look right. What have I done? But I'm glad that that was the case because I'm like, well, I'm, I'm used to having that kind of, like, it's, it's such a good thing to be like, used to be like, okay. I know I've done something wrong. It's now like I've got the bare bones. Let's try and fix it again. <laughs> but like, yep. yeah, gone. It's just, I feel like we could talk about this kind of stuff all day. But yes, you quit. <laughs> you did all this yes, great I stuff. Quit. I quit. Yeah. So I quit because I wanted every student to have that opportunity, not just the kids in my classes. Um, and it was clear to me at that point that this is how you get kids engaged with STEM. You show them that they can solve real problems with it. That's, that's how you tell them that it's worth doing. You don't throw them in with robots for a day and go, hey, we did STEM. Uh, you don't give them a makerspace and say, this is STEM. You like give them something real to do. That's what STEM is for, right? Science, technology, engineering, and maths are for solving real problems. Give them real problems to solve. It's not that hard to do. It's not rocket science, but um, it's not done. It's really not done. So I started the Australian Data Science Education Institute, which has, you know, the whole goal is it's a charity dedicated to building data science and data literacy skills. Um, and we train teachers because it scales better than working directly with kids. You know, if you work with 30 kids, you've just worked with 30 kids. But if you work with 30 teachers, then ideally you've impacted every student they ever teach from then on. Um, and we develop resources and we find cool data sets and annotate them and write lesson plans around them and stuff like that. I just, yeah. And so for kind like this was exactly the stuff that I started hearing about when like you got up and we're like, Hey, we're looking for other people or if we're looking for da like data sets and stuff, if you have any. And I was just like, you're doing what? Like, this is the kind of stuff <laughs> that I never had as a kid, which I would have loved. Like looking back as somebody in tech who found their way into yeah. it but didn't yeah. know that that was a thing. I'm like, oh my God, amazing. Like, this is great. And I think, oh, yeah, anyway, whatever I think is just going to be me repeating what I've already said in the last half hour. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I hear that all the time. People going, oh my God, can you do that in schools? And I, and you know, when I first started ADSI, I was like, not yet, but give me a minute. Um, and, and now it's like, you know, we're building this. It's not built into the curriculum, but it's a thing that you can do. And everyone's like, oh man, where were you when I was going through school? And and can you talk to my kids' school? <laughs> <laughs> People get very excited about it. It's great. It's really, really heartening. Oh, I love it. And like, how is that all going now? So like, I, I know that you were, sorry, I thought, my, I thought the drop, it dropped out again in my head. 
oh I thought this call nearly dropped and I was about to cry but how is that going now <laughs> yeah it's going really well so um I took the opportunity of all the lockdowns and stuff to write a book um I was yeah called... I, was, I was gonna get to that next I was like perfect timing well it, the book has changed a lot of things because getting the book out has really um, raised the profile of the work that we're doing. And I'm now, you know, I used to be sort of going to schools and saying we should do stuff and kind of dragging them in. And now I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm, people are seeking me out, which is awesome. So I'm getting schools contacting me going, hey, can you help me put data science into my curriculum? Hey, can you find me a cool data set? Let's, you know, can you train my teachers, my science teachers to do data stuff in in the course of their science projects um and it's it's great it's it's really kind of kicked things up several notches which is really good um the book is really about um about critical thinking as much as anything which is why it's called raising heretics um teaching kids to change the world it's like give them real stuff to do they they want to do real things kids are intensely passionate about justice and about the environment and about their communities and they want to fix things and we tell them to kind of sit down and shut up and do what they're told and we'll let them you know they might be able to fix things when they're an adult maybe but we'd probably prefer they didn't let them fix things now this is they are a powerhouse why are we not you know empowering them i mean there's 11 like year 11 kids Solving cancer problems, so I mean, I think we'll be yeah. fine if we give it over to the kids a little bit. <laughs> right. Especially in the context of what most adults are doing. I'm just like, mm, I think we can hand it over a bit. I'm, I'm okay with that idea. Yeah, but you know, the, there's a reason for that, which is that schools are really good at churning people out who follow the process and who do what they're told and who sit down and shut up. Um, and as a person who's never been very good at doing what she was told or at sitting down and shutting up... Um, I found that really constraining and I could see the same thing happening to my kids and also to my students. Whereas you give them something to do, you give them something, you give them scope to fly and it's phenomenal how far and how high they can fly. It's, it's, it's just breathtaking. You just, you got to give them a reason. You got to give them something real to do. Oh, and yeah. oh. the change is incredible. It's so amazing to hear, I think. And I mean, I just, if like, honestly, if you haven't gotten, gone out and got the book yet, like definitely do it, I, especially if you've got kids. Like, I think it's such an important one to be able to like read through and like understand that part of it because uh, it goes back to like, if you never had that growing up, right? We're like, I mean, I never did in that context of like, oh yeah, you can go do work problems and go do them now. Um, it's definitely something where it's a kind of an eye opener. We're like, oh, okay, no wait, No, 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 no. I need to change my thinking here a little bit to help out the other bits of it. Um, definitely go get onto that I think it's important (laughs) but I think it's just like I mean and I knew like you'd been in the like I mean I knew you had a PhD in computer science and things like that so like it's not necessarily an untraditional pathway into technology but like I think you've had the most untraditional career in technology (laughs) which I think is still part of the whole podcast like I mean these are the reasons we get into tech and like the idea like the big world ideas of like yes we can change the world and you can do yeah. everything with tech but this is kind of the heart of it where it's like well how could we make it better going forward yeah and and one of the things that i noticed um so the first time we ran a data science project for the year 10s the um number and composition of the year 11 class change 
So we got a lot, we doubled the number of girls, which, you know, went from five to 10. So let's not get too excited. But that's, <laughs> that was, we had never, you know, in like six, six years to that point, we'd never got more than five girls. So that was massive. But then also we got a lot more boys too. So that really rammed home to me that we can see that we're not getting girls in tech- technology because it's a really easy thing to measure, right? But what we don't see is the boys who aren't coming into technology because they don't see it as interesting or relevant or they don't, they can't see the point. Uh, and the non-binary kids who don't see themselves represented at all and don't have a pathway because they're not, you know, they don't, they don't go to girls events and they don't see themselves represented in tech. And so they, you know, quietly slip away. Some of those kids are going to be amazing technologists, not all of them, but some of them are going to be amazing if they just find the pathway in. And this gives them a pathway. This gives them a taste of it. Everybody should try it. Everybody should try it and achieve some success. And then if they choose something else, no problem. But if they've never tried it, they've never been given an opportunity to play with it, never given an opportunity to see the point of it, and never um, never really had the tools to succeed, then of course they're not going to go into it. And so you wind up with a computer science and a, and a technology industry that have the kind of people we already have. And it's very good at attracting the kind of people we already have. But we need more than that. We need better than that. We need that diversity. Honestly, there, you, I'm literally just going to record this snippet and that's what I'm going to put out anytime someone asks me about this. I'm like, no, I, I don't need to say anything more because that is exactly it. This is the best way I've heard, like, honestly, like the most succinct way I've heard it being put in terms of why it's a necessary thing. Um, and honestly, I can't think of a better way to wrap it all up. I think that was like a really good way of like encapsulating it all. Um, and I know for a fact there's a lot of data people that listen to this, mostly because um, a lot of my connections are data people um, that get <laughs> notified about this by me spamming it on people's pages. Uh, if you have data sets and you have access to things, send them out. I know Linda would appreciate any access to oh, all of them. Yes, please. Interesting data sets, particularly if they're annotated so that I don't have to spend hours trying to figure out what every column means. Uh, which is often a problem, especially with scientific data sets, where that you know you get columns that are labeled H55B, and you're like, what does that even mean? Um, so you know, data sets are annotated with how they were collected and um, what each field means and how they're related to each other. That they are gold, absolute gold. And I'm sure there's more than enough people listening that probably have access to one or two of those kind of things, or have seen something where they can get their hands on it. So. Do your little part in getting pathways existing for other people out there um, into technology, I think, is the right way about putting it. Uh, Linda, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I'll put all the links and stuff to where you can get the book and what, where they can come check out all the work you're doing um, so people can come and listen. But thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It was, it's oh. been a really fun chat. It's been a long time coming and I'm very glad to have gotten to hear the whole background behind how everything happened because um, I already knew the front bits but I'm like I'm glad I didn't got to know how it got to the front bits which involved all the great stuff that you did and then quitting bits I loved it this was perfect <laughs> <laughs> but look we'll leave it off there today uh, we'll be back again in two weeks time with another episode if you've been listening so far please review it does help 
review, like, share, do all the things that all the YouTubers say and I feel weird saying, but please do it. It actually does help at the end of the day. Um, and you can go support the podcast on the website. All the links for everything from all Linda's stuff that we talked about will be somewhere attached to this episode. Um, so take care in the meantime and we'll see you again in two weeks.